Welcome, everybody, to the, I don't know, sixth, seventh, eighth edition of the TMO podcast. At this point, I've completely lost track, but I'm Jace Eustace, joined here by my co-host, by my colleague, Jared Huff. Jared, how's it going, man? Uh, not too bad, other than uh, the loss the Bears just suffered. My Sunday is uh, going pretty well for the most part, I would say. Oh, yeah, both of us being Bears fans, that's something we've come pretty accustomed to, I will say, unfortunately, but... We kind of got to get into what's going on in the NBA because there's no shortage of headlines going around. And the big the first one that came out was back at the beginning of this week. And we're now finally getting the chance to talk about it. But it was announced that the iconic home of the Lakers and the Clippers will now be changing its name from the Staples Center to the Crypto.com Arena. And Jared, I know this has been all over social media. Everybody's given their opinion on it. But what do you make of this change coming to the league? One of the league's most favorite venues. I have to say there's been a trend growing in sports the last five years, I'd say, where all these contracts, these long-term contracts are coming up for uh, stadium and arena and ballpark sponsorships. And you see like iconic names, even though like they're still sponsored, like Miller Park, the Pepsi Center, Staples Center, um, all these teams uh, or all these stadiums then the name that they adopt after that is like awful. I like agree. the, the iconic Miller park. I'm sure you've probably driven through Milwaukee a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Um, just living in close proximity, uh, being Illinois and Wisconsin, but you'd see like the nice Miller logo. Yeah. It's still is a sponsor, but at the same time, Miller's like, Miller's a last name. So it could like be for like a person. So it, it just sounded nice. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, uh, they take it away and it's now American family insurance field or there's guaranteed rate field with the Guaran- white Sox. Yeah. There's uh Pepsi centers now ball arena. Um, what else? So now you have the iconic Staples center, which yes, it's staples. It's that it's a company that probably should have gone out of business like 10 years ago, just based <laughs> on the way things were happen but you kind of since staples itself as a company has been so irrelevant you kind of forgot what the name meant it's staples it's staples center it's been that way since 1999 my first cognitive memory of it's always been staples center yeah and then um you go to naming it crypto.com what is it, arena arena crypto.com arena yeah that is the that is like the second no third dumbest name in all of sports can we can we just do this for the fans or for the city can we pick our partnerships with the name in mind like that there are just so yeah. many ugly names on these historic buildings and i don't know i think kobe bryant's rolling in his grave just hearing that name right now it's 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 awful yeah and yeah it, even to make it even funnier westbrook in an interview called it crip arena or the something Cripper. like that <laughs> Yeah, he didn't even know what was going on. He plays for the team, but yeah, no, this was a better name, actually. Yeah, yeah, this this was surprising, and to me, it wasn't just because of the price tag that was attached to it. I mean, seven hundred million dollars for naming rights. I obviously see why the bus bus family decided to to make that move. I mean, that's no small amount of change for just a name on on the top of a building. And I believe, just from a little research I did, I believe it's second only to the Scotia Bank Arena, which is home of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Another eight, bad name. That was eight hundred million dollars. So I believe it's. The, I could be entirely wrong, so don't quote me on it. But it could be the second, you know, highest price tag on a, a renaming of a building. But you know, the Staples Center. You know, this name change. It's it's going to be strange, and it's going to be strange when you start hearing the broadcast teams. You know, on T- TNT, ESPN all the guys on the mainstream games when the Lakers and the Clippers are playing, 
have to say, you know, broadcasting live from Los Angeles from the crypto.com arena. It's just, it's not going to sound right. You know, it's, it doesn't it's, roll off the tongue. It's the Staples Center. And I know it's, it's going to, I know money drives everything. I know Staples itself as a company is kind of irrelevant at this point, but it should almost just be grandfathered in. Like it's the Staples Center and that's what it is. And I understand everything's got a price tag, but I'm, I just think it's going to be kind of like the Sears Tower in Chicago, how most it's people exactly from the area. Exactly what I it's said. It's still going to be the Sears Tower, even though the name has changed, I believe, like three times. And I don't even know what it currently is called right now. But it's hard to change around this country and sports in general. It's hard to change what people become used to. You know, people are still going to refer to it as the Staples Center. They're going to go to games with that they say at the Staples Center. And it's just... And you mentioned it there. And one of the things, that especially our generation is going to remember, Kobe played at the Staples Center. Like that that's exactly. Kobe's home. He played at the Staples Center. And all the grades that have traveled through that, you know, that center. And even though they didn't play when it was called the Staples Center, just kind of the aura that the Lakers and the Clippers, but specifically the Lakers have and all the big names that they've gotten, man. It's just Staples Center. I mean, it, it speaks for itself. And the, the last note that I kind of put, and it was to your point of how bad it sounds, can we just call it Crypto Arena? Like, like it sounds better. I mean, it's not good, but it's better than Crypto.com Arena. Definitely. Like, I get it. That's what they are. They're Crypto.com. But can, Crypto Arena might have some more people that are saying, hey, this might be okay. I, that's just, I just wanted to throw that out there. Oh, man. But we don't make the decisions and the change has been made for $700 million and we don't have the money to change that. So moving right along from LeBron James's home stadium to the man himself and more specifically the recent beef between Boston, between him and Boston Celtics, Inez Cantor. The Lakers and Celtics played a few days ago as Cantor used the opportunity to wear custom shoes that were taking shots at LeBron's comments in 2009 around the protests in Hong Kong. His shoes also showed an individual with a likeness to the king getting crowned by the Chinese president. Cantor tweeted out images of his, of his shoes with the caption, quote, money over morals for the king. Sad and disgusting how these athletes pretend they care about social justice. They really do shut up and dribble when Big Boss says so. Did you educate yourself about the slave labor that made your shoes or is that not part of your research? Jarrett, what is going on here? Um, in my bit of research, I can't really find too much that substantiates Cantor's claims that uh, Nike's using cheap labor to um, build its shoes at their factories and stuff like that. Nike earlier in the year released uh, a statement saying basically that they reviewed um, all of their uh, their manufacturers and their partners and everything like that when it comes to working in China to make sure that they weren't involved with um, some of these um rumored uh slave labor camps when um like some of these early reports came out and nike claims to confirm that they don't have any ties to any of those rumors but at the same time i think canner is bringing up some good points when it comes to the social justice aspect of it i mean nike does a lot when it comes to talking about social justice in america and it's great and it's done wonders i think in the sporting world but when it comes to dealing with China, China is a major, major, major black hole when it comes to human rights. I mean, the people there are so censored. Um, I mean, if one NBA player on any team says a word, even if the team doesn't officially stand by what that player says, that player, the, the team gets basically blacklisted from being broadcast in China. It's ridiculous. And the Celtics are one of those teams based on Canner's words. Same thing happened with the Rockets with Daryl Morey. 
basically anyone that says something they don't like kind of gets rid of them essentially like you'll you'll never see anything about them um so it would be a major move if nike did stand up and because they have a lot of weight in china um if they did stand up and say like just speak out because i mean canner's been trying to draw light to the issues with tibet and taiwan and uh beijing or i'm sorry not beijing um hong kong and all those uh territories and countries basically fighting for their independence from china yeah see i was glad to see that that your response kind of focused around the the nike aspect of it because I focused my response a little bit more on the actual just LeBron, because to me, it seemed like he took an unnecessary shot at LeBron uh, for comments that LeBron even admitted himself that he was a little uneducated on and actually came back and apologized for his comments. And the world seemed to have moved on. I know when this kind of come up, people were like, is is this did something else happen or are we just bringing this up from a few years ago? Because I know it's the first thing I thought about, you know, obviously everybody heard LeBron's comments back when it came out. But, you know. I just think taking this shot to call out LeBron when he has been, you know, with few exceptions, one of the most outspoken superstar athletes on social justice issues we've ever seen. I mean, obviously there's Muhammad Ali, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. There's always these exceptions, uh, Bill Russell, who's all those guys who are very outspoken as athletes, but LeBron is not a guy that stays quiet through things. And sometimes it's to his detriment. You know, a lot of the times his critics will say that he speaks out too much like when he did back with Hong Kong, when he said some things when he wasn't fully educated on it. But I just hate to see this with cancer because I know cancer's heart is in the right place. And he's shown time and time again, obviously social justice issues, especially in his home country, really ring home with him. And he, he fights and he puts in the work and he walks the walk. But to try to turn this into a sort of contest where it's like, I do more than what you do. And I just would, I hate to see this get ugly because I think when it comes to social justice issues, it doesn't have to be, you know, I'm doing more than you. It should be, we're all on the same page. We're all speaking out against, you know, things that we perceive as being right. And I just saw this as kind of an unnecessary shot at LeBron and almost like a headline grabbing move. And I didn't think that it in any way pushed Cantor's points to a level that won't get people that will get people talking about his actual points and gets people talking about exactly this, just the beef between him and LeBron. Uh, I wonder if um, what Canner is trying to achieve though, is maybe trying to get LeBron to talk about it Uh, because really LeBron hasn't really had a position on this along with just several figures across the NBA. And I think a lot of that is because of the NBA's ties with China. I mean, Mm -hmm. first in several cases, some of those uh, strings, are kind of frayed and broken. Um, but I do think that um, if you're going to talk about social justice here, you should probably talk about social justice everywhere. So I do think Nike and LeBron um, and just any other faces around the league should look more into this um, and probably become a little more educated on it because the, I mean, they have partners in this country and it's, it's just, I don't know. Sometimes it kind of rings hollow to me when uh you're talking about other issues, but then there's issues in China and all these people that are being exploited, these people that are um, being persecuted, being um, censored and stuff like that. And there's nothing they can do about it because their government just has a government that in my mind probably isn't too legitimate, has a stranglehold on them. And this will, 
<laughs> this will probably get us uh, banned in China, but that's okay. I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, see, like the thing to me, it, it it really the shoes itself I can kind of get over, but it was the comments kind of after the game, the, the Twitter, the post that Cancer made that I hope is not a direct shot at LeBron. He doesn't directly name him, but obviously the shoes do talking about the King and things like that. But I hope the the quote sad and disgusting, how these athletes pretend that they care about social justice. They really do shut up and dribble when big, when big boss says so. And I, if that's an accusation of LeBron that he just pretends to care about social justice issues just because, you know, it grabs headlines. If anything, if I could play devil's advocate and I can make the argument, LeBron would be better off and have more fans if he never spoke out about any sort of social justice issues. That's never been his problem. If he's made mistakes and he has, as far as public relations, he's made some comments and things like that. He's, he's always one to go back and apologize, you know, and nobody's going to be perfect. But I think to pick someone just out of a line to, to kind of make an example of that cancer did, I feel like there's a lot more superstars in the league that stay quiet on social ju- justice issues that would be better for him to kind of, you know, poke the bear with than LeBron. I mean, I'm just thinking not to, you know, put anybody on the spot, but I just think, you know, Steph Curry, we never hear him talking about anything. Steph Curry is known worldwide, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo, you know, guys like that, Kevin Durant, who all we talk about him is, is his Twitter accounts and his sometimes fake Twitter accounts. But it seems like, you know, they want LeBron to speak more, criticize him for speaking more. And now Cantor's using this opportunity to try to get more superstars to speak, which is okay. The message is good. I just think he picked the wrong guy to kind of prove this point on. Uh, I have two more uh, things on this. Uh, my first one is kind of in defense of LeBron. LeBron did say, though, when uh, Cantor passed him in the hallway and had a chance yeah. to talk to him, Cantor didn't say anything. So LeBron's like, you know, you could have said something to me. We could have oh, talked about and it. I'm, and I'm sure they would have sat down and had a, a great conversation. You know, like LeBron, it seems like that's that's he would have been all for that, at least the comments that he said. Yeah. But in response to your your take on who Cantor could have gone for, I don't think there is a better athlete that you could single out in terms of this case i mean lebron is as is basically uh 1b when it comes to having a place as a player at nike with michael jordan being the only Mm -hmm. one above him so i think and i don't really know of under armor's ties to china with steph curry and stuff like that i'm not too familiar um but i think with nike which it's very well known that nike has a lot of equity in china yeah um that and LeBron is probably the most famous active athlete on the planet right now, uh, aside from soccer. Um, but in my mind, I, I don't get the t- I'm not a soccer fan, so I don't really get how <laughs> tangible the like Ronaldo or all those guys are. But to me, LeBron's the most famous player or athlete on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like he probably would carry the most weight in anything that would have to do with, I mean, he's the face of the NBA. He's the face of Nike actively. And um, he's probably aside from Steph Curry, the most popular player in China, I'd imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think our, our, I wouldn't say our disagreement, but our, our disconnect here is I took this more as a shot across the bow for LeBron, but mostly also other superstars in the league. And I think you took it also as a big shot towards Nike. And I guess I just didn't really look at it that I kind of took a different approach at that. But I think both of them are very valid where obviously LeBron has huge ties to Nike. Like you said, the one B one, a one that they're, they are Nike essentially have been their, their entire career. But 
Yeah, it's definitely an interesting situation. I'm interested to see if in the next coming weeks or so, if we hear anything more about this. I wouldn't be surprised if a week from now we we heard about, you know, some Zoom meeting or something where LeBron sat down with his guys and Cantor sat down with his guys and they're, you know, forming uh, an initiative, you know, because that just seems like that might be the outcome. And I think Cantor would welcome that. I think LeBron would welcome that. I think they both have their hearts in the right place, you know, nine times out of 10, or, or if not more. And I think they both want to affect change. And I think it's just a little disconnect, a little call out, but I think overall good things would probably come from this, but go, moving on from there, we're a couple superstar, or I wouldn't say superstars, the nest cancer, but a couple good players out there calling each other out. I want to move on to the Phoenix Suns who started this season one in three and we were calling them out on our second podcast saying like oh we might have been wrong about the suns what's going on with the suns since then they've turned everything around and they've done it very quickly they've now rattled off 11 straight victories to find themselves behind only the warriors in the western conference so jared what do you make of this run by phoenix well to me this run proves that this team does not take the foot off the gas i mean it's uh, it's very hard, especially early on in the season, I feel like, to rattle off a win streak like this because, yeah. I mean, you got some new players that are coming on the teams. You're facing some tough teams early. Some players are just getting back in their groove, stuff like that. Um, so it's been a very encouraging sight to see the Suns back on track. They're already some of the cream of the crop in the West, a conference that historically is really tough and wide open at all times. Um, the thing is, though, about this run even though like, and this is kind of where my foot off the gas statement kind of uh, relates to is a lot of the teams they faced are below 500 teams, um, which on the positive side, of course, it shows that they're not playing down to their competition so mm -hmm. much, but they haven't really had the toughest road. Um, they only have five wins against 500 teams during the stretch. Um, two of which were at those teams are at 500 going into that game. Um, and then Dallas, Cleveland, and Portland are their only opponents during that uh, stretch, which they played uh, um, Dallas twice, their most two most recent wins. But uh, those three opponents are their only opponents that are currently above 500 uh, yeah. during that stretch that they played. Um, so it, it remains to be seen when their schedule gets a little tougher, how they'll fare. But as of right now, the team's rolling. Yeah. Yeah. This team looks really good. They've come a long way since the last time we kind of talked about them, which was not necessarily calling them out, but saying we might've been a little concerned just one week into the season, but what to kind of go off of a point that you said that they're blowing out the teams that they should be blowing out. And they're winning a lot of close contests to some of the tougher teams that they're playing, which I love to see, because like you said, they're not playing down to their opponents. They're going into every game with the mindset. We have to come in here and we have to do what we have to do to get a W. And what I love about Phoenix is they can win multiple ways, you know, and they're doing it as a complete team. Wrote down that Chris Paul, you know, he's the leader. You got Devin Booker, who's the scorer. You got De uh, DeAndre Ayton, who's the anchor. Kel Bridges, who's the kind of up-and-comer. Crowder's kind of the cleanup guy and a talented and deep bench. You know, they're looking to make another run at the finals. And so far, they're showing with this run that they're on that they can do that. You know, to me, the most telling part about this run and essentially the entirety of the Western Conference has kind of just been between those two so far. I know Utah's up there, but then there's a lot of teams that are right there around 500 that we're expecting, you know, three or four of them to take off here at some point once they get some guys back from injuries. But it's most telling when you kind of look at the standings and you, you know how dominant the Warriors have been and dominated all the headlines. And then you look at the standings and see that the Suns are just one game back of them. Like you would expect 
a start with the, that the Warriors have had. You know, they've already built maybe a three, four game lead on number two, but no, it, it's one game. It's one night where the, the Warriors slip up and Phoenix gets another win. And it's a tie at the top of the Western Conference, and it's you know, but you know, it's a long season. You know, I but it, it's encouraging to see that they. It looks like they picked off right where they left off, or picked up right where they left off. And they just look hungry, man. They, they look hungry to go out there. They're motivated by that loss. And I think one thing that was very telling, I don't know if you saw, but you've probably seen on social media is after they lost, it was in game six to Milwaukee and Devin Booker stayed on the court and watched the confetti fall and sat there. And he was just like, man, we, we let one slip by our fingers. And I don't think him and Chris Paul want to ever let one slip by their fingers again. Yeah, I mean, especially with uh, Chris Paul's uh, clock essentially yeah. ticking, uh, he's going to be more motivated than ever to get back to the finals. He said uh, before the season that uh, that playing in the finals was addicting. And yeah, that he's, he got his first taste. Yeah, he's like, I don't want to never not be here ever again. So exactly. I think we're going to see a very motivated Suns team provided that um, they're healthy. They're going to be they're going to be there. I don't I'd be shocked to, if um, they're not one of the teams in the Western conference finals, but it's still early. There's still a lot of teams out in the West that have a chance in my mind, but the Suns for me are an early Western conference finals favorite. Yeah. Yeah. They're out there to prove that the West runs through them, but we'll have to see and jumping from them to a team at the top of the Western conference standings to a team at the bottom of the Western conference standings. We're going to go. We don't normally get breaking news on a Sunday, but we're, since we're recording this here on a Sunday and this kind of came out, we got lucky. We have to cover that the Sacramento Kings have fired their head coach, Luke Walton after a six and 11 start to the season. So Jared, what do you make of this move? And is this the right time that they should have done this? See Luke Walton hasn't been a great coach for the Sacramento Kings. But I don't really know if it's so much Walton's fault as it is just the organizations in general. I mean, look at this organization. They had the second act, longest active playout drought in North American sports. 15 years. They were last uh, in the playoffs in 2006. I don't know what you were doing uh, in 2006, but I believe I was like, what, in third grade? Yeah, so I was eight. nine. Nine, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I was, I was learning how to write. Yeah. <laughs> which is uh, what I hope to be doing for a career for the rest of my life to an extent. Um, it's it's this organization is a dumpster fire. I mean, they've had this, they're about to be on their 11th head coach since Rick Aldelman, who led those Sacramento Kings teams in the early two thousands left town after they didn't renew his contract at the end of the 2006 season. Mm. It's, it's, it's a mess. I mean, Alvin Gentry, I think he's a solid coach, but he's also been in situations like New Orleans where he wasn't yeah. able to carry it. Now he is in the interim. So it remains to be seen if he'll be promoted to full-time head coach or if they're going to look in a different direction. I just think this is one of the franchises where if they picked up out of Sacramento and moved to Seattle or Las Vegas tomorrow, it would be better for the franchise. Like, there's no market in Sacramento to attract uh, free agents. They've never been able to do it. The yeah. stars that they do cultivate, like they trade away or waste their potential or leave town. DeMarcus Cousins is the perfect example of it. And oh. now they're probably wasting Darren Fox. Yeah, prime boogie, man. Uh, you know, to me, it just it seemed like Luke Walton had, had kind of lost the locker room. And, and then when it comes to being a head coach, that's the one thing you can't do. And it seems like when you start to get the eye rolls and no one's really buying into your rah-rah stories anymore, that's usually when we see these head coaches leave out the front door. And, 
you know, we, we saw, we saw nothing special. They got out to a decent start and then all of a sudden they've lost, I believe it's seven of their last eight games. And we saw, I believe it was about a week ago, Marvin Bagley not wanting to check into the game somewhere. I think it was in the middle of the third quarter and just, it, they, it's with the Kings. They're just, they've never been anything special as long as, you know, in, in our lifetime, essentially. And I, I have to give props to the King organization because Walton has enough name, name recognition. And, and I think at this point, we don't, I don't think he's a terrible coach. I just don't think he's a special coach. I think he's a good basketball coach. And I think he would do great as first or second assistant somewhere on a team that he can grab on. And I'm sure he will grab on somewhere. And I, I don't think in the head coaching ranks as of right now, but um, try to grab on, learn, and then maybe a couple uh, seasons from now, maybe get some interviews and get another chance. But I don't know. It's it was it could be easy for the Kings just to let them kind of skate through this season. And I think they made what was the tougher choice in deciding to start over. Um, I think Walton, you know, he went 68 and 93 as the Kings head coach. You know, they have some young talent. Marvin Bagley hasn't really become what a lot of people were hoping that he would become. Everybody likes De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, who looks like he's going to be a solid, solid player. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see who the new long-term solution is. I don't know if Gentry is going to be that long-term solution or if he's just kind of a uh, stop fill here for the rest of the year. But I'm interested to see. Obviously, they'll be looking around at head coaching. I don't foresee any sort of like hawk situation where this team just takes off under their interim coach like we saw with McMillan and Gentry becomes the the solution for the next two to three four years I don't foresee that happening I foresee the Kings continuing to struggle all year but everybody besides maybe the diehards in Sacramento probably saw the Kings were going to struggle this year so I got to give some props to the the organization because feel like far too often you kind of just you have a coach that you like as a person and who's not terrible you kind of just let them just keep going but you know that they're never going to take that next step forward yeah well i'd be impressed if gentry if they do choose to go in his direction stays there for three years because uh no one has been in sacramento longer than three years since 2006 i mean 10 head coaches i think dave yeager had the longest tenure since uh rick alderman yeah and that was 290-something games, something like that. Yeah. And now we want to move on to our new, newest segment here on the TMO podcast. We're going to call it Buy or Sell. Probably seen it on a lot of other uh, sports shows, but we're going to take it and steal it here. So the rules of the game are simple. Uh, we have some statements that I'm going to go ahead and list off. And, Jared, you're going to tell me if you're buying or selling what I'm offering you. So without further ado, man, let's get into it. So, Jared, are you buying or selling? the Golden State Warriors should be considered the title favorites right now. I will throw my money down on the table. I will buy that. I think in my mind, the Warriors, they're top of the NBA right now, and they're not even at full power yet. Klay Thompson, who just got uh, approved for full team practices. That was big news. He hasn't even touched the court yet, and it doesn't matter. The Warriors are still top of the NBA. They still have James Wiseman waiting in the wings. This mm-hmm. team is not yet at its full potential. And personally, even though I was never a Warriors fan during their stretch, I was more of a Warriors hater. I'm excited to see the dynamic duo, the Splash Brothers back on the court together to see what kind of damage they can do in this decade. No, definitely. I'm agreeing with you. I'm a buying. I am buying this as well, that the Warriors are the title favorites right now. You know, that could change with a bad week and with other teams keep going with their great starts. Things could obviously switch around. But right now it's hard to argue with them. And especially they've set the tone defensively. They're the best defensive team in the league. 
No one can really argue with that. They're tremendous. Curry's looking like he's making another run in the MVP. I know he's been at the top of our power rankings and a lot of other power rankings around the league. So I think they've done enough. They've locked down defensively. They have enough young talent and enough talent that's going to be put into their rotation when guys like Clay Thompson and James Wiseman gets back that I think they have to be considered the title favorites right now. So I'm with you on that one. So second one we have here, Jared, are you buying or selling that the Los Angeles Lakers are a playoff team? Oh, I'm 100% buying, and here's why. One word, LeBron. Has LeBron ever not been in the playoff conversation during his yeah. career? Other than the, uh, what was it, the 2019 Lakers? But that yeah, was if, he, if, he's, if he's healthy, yeah. Yeah. So with LeBron, with the Lakers, I mean, he has Anthony Davis, and he has some form of Russell Westbrook on the roster. That team, is, it's too talented despite their age and despite the chemistry struggles to not at least make an eighth seed in the playoffs. I'm not worried about their playoff chances. What they do beyond the first round of the playoffs, mm-hmm. though, I'm not too confident in. No, I'm with you. I'm buying this one as well, that they are a, a playoff team. You know, this was a tough one, but, uh, you know, the Lakers so far, they've been far from dominant. Uh, but the return to LeBron is huge, but not just, I think, for his play and what he actually gives him. But when LeBron is playing, he's their primary ball handler. And when he does that, it allows Russ to play off the ball and play as a slasher, which is when we've seen him at his best so far this season. It also allows Anthony Davis to play at that five spot, which is where we've seen him at his best so far this season. So I think when LeBron is in the lineup, it pushes everybody down a little bit. Everybody's got to handle the ball a little bit less. LeBron, obviously, he's done it his entire career. He's going to find open guys. They just have to knock down the shots. I think with the bench guys, Malik Bunk, Malik Monk has had a few big games. I think that could play dividends as being a key guy off the bench. Carmelo Anthony, we need him to keep doing what he's doing and hitting down, hitting threes at the clip that he's hitting. So only at home, surprisingly so far, he's only hitting threes at home, which is a very strange fact or uh, stat if you ever look it up. But what I agree with you with LeBron, there's a lot of his teams, there's usually a feeling out process, but then they kick it into gear. And I'm going to trust in LeBron in this one. I think they are a playoff team as well. So, Jarrett, are you buying or selling that the Wizards will be a top four seed in the Eastern Conference? I'm selling this. Now, the Wizards have played really great. They have surprised the hell out of me this early in the season. I love seeing the chemistry that this team has, despite all the parts they brought in. Um, But I don't believe they'll be a top four seed. In my mind, there's a lot of teams sitting below them that are better than this team. I mean, they're technically the second seed right now, but they're tied to the Chicago Bulls. That's one of the teams I think that's better. The Nets, who sit above the Wizards, are better. I think the Miami Heat, who the Wizards coincidentally just defeated, are still a better team. I was It was only a three-point loss. It was a close game. Yeah. I still think the 76ers, when healthy, when they get Joel Embiid back, when they uh, are just back to full strength after all their COVID woes go away, they're going to be a better team. And, of course, the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks, once they finally get their roster back together, are going to be another team that's going to sit atop the Wizards um, when the standings are set for the playoffs. Yeah, I thought you might surprise me on this one, but I'm selling this as well. You know, I think the Wizards are not going to be a top four seed in the Easter Conference when all is said and done. You know, they've been the biggest surprise of the season for many outside of the Warriors. But, you know, I think they're going to start to come down to earth, and I don't think it'll happen fast. I think it'll happen pretty slowly. You know, they'll drop some games. They feel like they should have won. But to me, this plays to exactly what you said, the talent of the Eastern Conference has continued to just get better. All those teams that you listed, as soon as they get their chemistry, they get guys healthy, they're playing good basketball once we get to the middle of this season. I think the Wizards are still a playoff team. I didn't think that at the beginning of the year, but I think they've proven enough that they're going to hang on there in the playoffs. I see them finishing somewhere in that 6-7 range. 
somewhere and uh you know having a being a very tough matchup i will say for whoever they end up playing in the first round of the playoffs so the fourth one we have here so jared are you buying or selling that the suns have a good chance at returning to the finals um i'm gonna buy that Uh, i think the west is wide open this year and even though i think warriors are likely the title favorites right now the suns still in my mind have as good of a chance as anyone to make it back i think it's going to be a suns warriors western conference finals i don't know what team's going to win that if i had to put money on it right now i would say the warriors but yeah why not the suns they just did it last year they have the same team as for the most part that is returning for this season and they look pretty damn good right now so i'll buy that yeah i'm buying this as well you know the suns have proven over this run 11 straight games is no easy task and they're showing that they're you know up there if not one they're definitely one b of there at the warriors right now in the western conference and the West just hasn't looked as good so far this year. I know we'll get to that here soon, but, you know, I think it's a good chance the Suns will have a chance to return to the finals. They have, you know, they got that taste. A lot of the guys on the rosters, especially the younger guys, have that taste of playing in the finals. You know, they lost to, to the Bucks. They even had, I think they were up two games to nothing, if I'm not mistaken, in the NBA finals and looked like they were going to close everything out until Giannis came storming back and decided that that was not going to happen. So, I think the Suns have a very good chance at the possibility of returning to the finals, but only time will tell, which right now, I mean, how how great would a Warriors-Suns uh, Western Conference Finals look right now? I mean, I mean, that'd be fun. The battle of the backcourts for sure. Oh, for real. And the last one we have here in buy or sell. So, Jared, are you buying or selling that the Eastern Conference is now the tougher conference? Well, I've invested a lot of money today into uh these uh these topics but uh, i'm gonna have to keep investing i am buying that uh the eastern conference is the better conference in the nba right now and here's why if you look at the eastern conference standings as of right now the gap all the way to the 10th seed is three games yeah three games in the eastern conference you can talk yourself into 11 of these teams having a legitimate shot at making the playoffs and maybe if you're very, very confident in the Toronto Raptors, maybe a 12th team. Uh, me, not so much in the Raptors, but this t- this conference is deep. Another reason for it is they've attracted a lot of the talent that was in the West. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at guys in the past couple of years like Durant, DeRozan, Harden, Holiday, Randall. All these guys are playing major roles on some of these teams that have risen from the sellers of the Eastern Conference over the last couple of years. And some of those teams are contenders. Like, look at the Nets and the Bulls. Yeah. The additions of Harden and Durant, and then DeRozan to the Bulls. Like, look at how these teams' fortunes have changed overnight. I mean, you're looking – I forget what coach said it, but I think it was Steve Nash was saying his team wasn't up there on par with the talent of the Chicago Bulls. You know how long it's been since I've heard the Chicago Bulls mentioned as an elite team? Yeah. And last year, they're, what, 11th? No, this conference, this conference is deep. And there's going to be some heartbroken fan bases out there at the end of the years because there is so many talented teams in this conference, but not everyone can make the eight seeds. No, I agree. I'm buying this as well. And I think this has been a long time coming that the Eastern Conference is the stronger conference. I mean, pretty much all of our fanhood of the NBA, it's always been the Western Conference. And people even a big criticism of LeBron as they were saying, well, you're doing it in the Eastern Conference, you know, come over to the West and see what happens. And I, we're really starting to see that swing 
you know, I'm not going to get into it, but, you know, at the same time, LeBron goes over to the West. Now everybody wants to leave the West, but that's a story for a different day. But, you know, it's people, it's been widely, you know, pretty much accepted. No one would really argue that the Western Conference was tougher than the Eastern for, for a long time now. But the rise of teams like the Nets, the Heat, the Bulls, the Wizards, the Bucks, you know, it just gets deeper and deeper. And I think they're really setting themselves up and they have a lot of young guys along with the veteran uh, superstars that they're, they're going to try to make a run at this for a long time. And I know all these teams in the East, they've been down and they starting to pick themselves up. They don't want to go back down there. They want to continue to compete, continue to try to get a championship. So I am buying that as well, but yeah, that's all we had for the buy and sell segment. So now we're going to move on to our favorite segment, our final segment we have here, and that's the tee them up. TM up segment of the TM up podcast. So Jared, who are you teeing up this week, my man? I'm putting a technical foul on that Kings fan that was sitting on the sidelines <laughs> of the Kings Jazz game. I'm assuming you. Uh, yep, I thought about that. I'm glad I didn't go with it, but I thought about that. I have so many things to say about this. All right, obviously, this person's a very privileged person in life to where they can afford to sit sidelines of an NBA game, a spot that so many fans would love to have. Now, of course, when you're sitting in these seats, you got to be on your best behavior. You don't want to impact the game. You don't want to do something stupid that gets you thrown out. This man somehow, well, I mean, clearly he's sitting on the sidelines, has the wealth to get hammered <laughs> at an NBA game. I mean, do you know how much a beer is at an NBA game? Oh, yeah. Let alone, I can't imagine any mixed drink. Oh, my. Oh, wow. Getting hammered he... on the sideline <laughs> at an NBA game throws up after heckling the opposing team all day and he stops the game for like nearly 15 minutes while they try to clean him up and then kicked him out. You see a video of him walking to the tunnel ushered by security. And he's like hobbling over the man can't even walk straight, no. which I have to say, go on Twitter and look at the threads from this. And oh, somebody just posted all the reactions of the jazz and Kings players. And it, it's great. Just listen to the interviews and oh, it's, it's, it's hilarious, but technical foul on that fan like literally you stopped an nba game for essentially a whole quarter yeah i agree that's a good one and the one that i that i came up with i was doing a little research because i couldn't i didn't really have one normally if i see one throughout the week i like screenshot and remember it and be like hey that's going to be my team up uh this this week i didn't have one so this was a report that i saw that it wasn't widely reported didn't come through on like bleacher reporter espn it was i think it was nbc philadelphia that reported this so i'm teeing up daryl moore and this is, you might not have heard this, but we've talked a lot about him this year and, you know, given him a lot of compliments. But today, this report came out that he's not willing to engage the Detroit Pistons for trade talks unless Cade Cunningham is involved. That is the hard line that he drew with the Detroit Pits, Pistons. Cade Cunningham has played like six games in his NBA career. Six games. And don't get me wrong, I think he's talented. He was my pick for rookie of the year. But the Detroit Pistons are not going to give up their number one overall pick who's played six games, who is showing talent and who can shoot a jump shot for Ben Simmons. Like, they're not going to do that. I, I know the Detroit Pistons are a dysfunctional organization. If they make this move, they will be my team up for the next three months because that would be the most ridiculous thing. But at this point, Daryl Morey, I have to tee him up. You know, he has to understand the value he has. And although at this point, Ben Simmons, yes, he's a better player than Cade Cunningham. But the Detroit Pistons aren't kidding themselves. They're not trying to win anything. They're trying to find a diamond and get a superstar 
They believe Cade Cunningham can become that player. The dude's played like a week and a half. Can we let him get his apartment first? Like, can we let him <laughs> settle down a little bit, play basketball, play some minutes before he's trying to be Daryl Moore is trying to go like, nope, don't get your apartment over there in Detroit because you're coming to Philadelphia. This is not going to happen. I have to tee up Daryl Morey on this one, man. Oh, so I take it. I take it. You did not see that report. I did not see that report. No, personally, though, I think Daryl Morey is just asking basically what he can get for the best value for Ben oh, Simmons. Yeah. Um, and really, the Pistons have nothing else of value unless you're a big Jeremy Grant guy. I at this point, I'd take Jeremy Grant. I take Jeremy Grant, maybe, uh, maybe two first and two seconds, two first and a second. I would, if I'm Morey. I mean, what's what's Simmons giving you? But I think with in the Sixers side, they don't want to waste Embiid's prime. They're oh, they're looking for a difference maker, which I know Maury said that he's like, we're not trading Simmons for a difference maker, which I, I think that's fair for the Sixers position because they're trying to contend now. I agree. So. I agree. Well, that's all we have here for the Team Up podcast. This was a good one. A lot of headlines going through. So we're going to go ahead and leave you guys. Be sure to join us next week for another edition of the Team Up podcast. Be sure to follow us on all of our social media accounts. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, all over the place. So sure to give us a follow at, at TM Up Podcast. And we'll be back to check out with you guys next week to break down what happened in this crazy league. All right. Make sure to share us with all your friends and family.